Welcome to Recreate Church. We are so happy that you chose to join us today. Thank you, the professional. Michael will be up to share from the word in just a few minutes, but right now I want to share something very, very important to you, with you. <coughs> Excuse me. It makes me sad to share for the last 49 years, abortion on demand has been the law of this land. And there are many reasons why I'm passionate about this topic, but it has affected my life in a very personal way. As many of you know, I chose to end the life of my child at age 24. I was in crisis, alone and unsure of my future. The father of my child was not in my life. In fact, he probably never even knew he was a dad. I had no connection with people that would influence me to choose life. So I did the one thing I was advised to do by the pro-choice culture, and I ended the life of my child. It turned out to be one of the most devastating and life-altering decisions I have ever made. I cried every night for several months when there was no one around to hear me. This abortion exposed the sin of my life and it caused me great shame. I wanted to hide. I just wanted it to go away. So when the pro-choice people said, it's no big deal, it's just a blob of tissue. Besides, it's your body. Do what you want with it. Don't be burdened by an unwanted child. How are you going to raise a baby on your own anyway? It was very easy for me to choose abortion at that point. God has placed in women the desire to nurture and protect their babies, but the enemy convinced me to ignore the blessing and destroy the miracle of life. The truth is I was grieving over this innocent defenseless child and what I had done to her. And if she was here with us today, she would be about 39. Through ministry, I have learned that I, well, so many women who believe abortion is wrong, like I did, but that it's the best of the evils. They fear the shame and the rejection that they expect to receive, especially in the church. But we can show them that they are not alone. We can lead them to Jesus who does not define us by our sinful decisions. I want to share some info with you about Planned Parenthood, which is the nation's largest abortion provider and who also receives millions in taxpayer dollars. Despite the COVID-19 pandemic, they didn't slow down, but they recorded their highest number of abortions and largest amount of taxpayer funding to date. In 2020, they committed over 350,000 abortions. Despite claiming women that had little access to reproductive health care, and in addition, they received $618 million more in our taxpayer funding. Planned Parenthood advertises that they provide multiple women's health services, such as adoption, referrals, prenatal and well-worn services. But the reality is they profit hugely while focusing solely on abortions. In 2020, they finished the year with nearly $70 million in profits. That's just about $200 per child that they destroy. This industry is all about making millions at the cost of precious human life, cherished by God and made in his image. The devil is definitely in the details. The word warns us about greed and the love of money. 1 Timothy 6, 9 says, But those who desire to be rich 
fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So we as a society don't hear much about men and their involvement in abortion because for over 40 years this culture has been telling them that they have no say and no say in the decisions going forward when their partner becomes pregnant. So many of them remain silent. This is unreasonable since he has a significant role in the conception of this child. And out of a thousand men surveyed that had been involved in the decision for abortion, almost half said that they couldn't afford a child at that time. And just under half said that they weren't ready to be a father. I wonder how many of the dads in the audience today felt that you could afford and were ready to be a dad. (laughs) Just saying. I wonder, more than half of the men surveyed of those who were involved in abortion were engaged in the life of a church at least once a month. So this tells us that there are those who experience crisis pregnancy within our midst, within the body of Christ. What can we do to change the trajectory of this evil plan the enemy has to take the unborn from us and destroy the hope of future generations? As we consider what our involvement looks like, perhaps we should ask these questions. Are the things I'm saying or posting on social media sending the message that I would be a compassionate and trustworthy source of help and support to someone facing an unplanned pregnancy? Am I promoting a culture of acceptance and grace within my church? I have spent a good part of my life helping other women who have chosen abortion and are suffering the severe consequences of their decisions. They come from all walks of life, but all have one thing in common. They are broken, feeling ashamed, and regretful. And as I speak to them, I hear them say that they were advised and some even forced to abort their babies. My message to them is that Jesus is ready to forgive and heal. They also need to know that the body of Christ is a safe place for them to receive support and compassion. As I work with these broken women, I ask, how can we as the church help those women who find themselves in crisis pregnancy and have not yet chosen abortion? How can we help them see that there's a better solution than ending the, ending the life of their child? I know it's awareness and exposing the lie for what it is. And it's so important that we support the ministries on the front lines that are available to the women and men when they come for support. Psalm 82, 3 and 4 tells us to give justice to the weak and the fatherless, maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute, rescue the weak and the needy, Deliver them from the hands of the wicked. We as the church of Jesus Christ have the hope they so desperately need. And if not us, then who? We need to pray for women and men to make life-affirming decisions and ask the Lord to show us how we may help encourage and support life in the womb. Be aware of the organizations like My Ashes to Beauty, CareNet and local pregnancy help centers so you can refer women and men to these incredible resources. I am ministering with My Ashes to Beauty currently that hosts two weekly anonymous conference calls, 
One, abortion recovery, and the other is for abuse recovery. We also provide Bible studies that help women move through the healing process of abuse, abortion, and addiction. So if you know anyone that could benefit from these programs, please see me. I have brochures and cards that I could give you, and you can just pass them out as you will. Thank you so much for your time, and God bless you all. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you so much. Let's try this again. Good morning, Recreate Church. Good morning. Got some batteries in the mic this time. Let's see. I'm going to have to move this stand up a little bit. Lucy left it down here. Hey, that's much better. Let's give Lucy another, another thanks. Thank you so much. And thank you for your patience while I put some batteries in the mic. Just so you know, the position of sound man might be open. <laughs> uh, because I would like to retire from that position. I am so glad to see. Are you glad to see me? Glad to see everybody. Why don't you look to someone near you and just say, hey, glad to see you. Glad to see you. Yeah, good to see you. All right. Yeah. So today is a special Sunday. You know, it's, it's Sanctity of Life Sunday. It would have been a few weeks ago, but, but between snow and COVID, it's been a while. It's been a lo- much too long. So we're talking about it this week. Um, we're talking a lot about kids today. I'm so happy to see the little ones. They grew up. is like a foot taller than last time I saw her. She's just grown up so big. So, folks, when you think of kids, let's do some word association. When you think of kids, children, what words come to mind when you think of kids? Laughter. Blessing. A loud joy. A loud joy. My own mother looks at me and says, a loud joy. You know, kids are messy, kids are fun, kids are adorable. I saw Maggie with her little bob haircut. Oh my gosh, melt my heart. So cute back there. I see these boys here in the second row. Look how big they're getting. It's just amazing. Kids are a blessing. Kids are a gift from God. Kids are precious. You agree? Kids are are so precious. They're worthy of protection. I have such a hard time with the idea of a child being mistreated or exploited or abused. Oh, it gets me fighting, Matt. I can't watch like detective shows where there's a kid involved. I just have to go. I just have to leave a room because it makes me want to become a vigilante. It makes me want to become some sort of low-budget hillbilly Batman, y'all, and fight crime. I don't think Batman will work. It'll have to be something a little more Appalachian. Maybe Possum Man. He sleeps a lot. Somebody check. Somebody needs to check on that for me and see if that's already been... Probably that's been trademarked. But, you know, the point is, man, I bet you agree with me that children are worthy of protection. Children are valuable, not as something to be bought and sold, but they're they're valuable because they're a precious life. And we might assume that that is a belief that has always been held by all people of all times, that it's a belief that's common to all cultures and all points in history, but that is not the case. For most of human history, valuing children has not been automatic. Children have been 
seen not as precious, but as a burden or as baggage, as non-persons, as a commodity. If you read in the history of Rome, you'll find that it was common in Rome for an unwanted child, uh, especially one with a defect, to be abandoned, just to be left outside, abandoned. And the most common defect, quote, defect, for which a child was abandoned was that they were born a girl. As a dad of two daughters, that makes me so mad that somebody would abandon a child just because it's a girl. It ha- it's st- that sort of thing still happens. They had a word for it in Rome, exposito, expositio. I didn't say that right. Anybody speak Latin? Anybody? Else? So y'all didn't know whether I got it right or not either, so we're fine. It, it, meant, it means exposure. It was culturally acceptable for babies to be left out in the cold to die. It was culturally acceptable. It was not considered murder. It was considered getting rid of a problem. If that upsets you, it should. It should upset you. That's not right. That's absolutely not right. But it seems we have come full circle. America seems to be turning into Rome a little more every day. Children are not always seen as blessings. They're often seen as burdens. A burden to the parents who don't want the child. A burden to society because now society's got to bear the burden of raising this child. It's culturally acceptable in America to abandon a baby even before it's born. It's culturally acceptable. And it doesn't stop there. In ancient Rome, children who were abandoned were often sold into slavery as, uh, as uh, human trafficking were sold as sex slaves. Horrible, horrible. Boy, that makes me want to just burn the whole place down. I mean, and we would love to think that doesn't happen today, but guess what it does? There were more people in slavery in the 20th century than at any point in history of the world. I ain't seen the stats for the 21st century, but I'd say we're right on track to set records. It happens. And if you pay any attention at all to the news, the little bit that gets out points to the idea that the exploitation of children goes all the way up to the elite of society, and anybody with much of a voice who begins talking about that gets silenced real quick. Have you noticed? Yes. Yes. This idea that children are precious didn't come naturally. Humans don't treat children as precious naturally. Maybe their own, but not children in general. So where did it come from? We might take for granted that children should be valued and protected. But it didn't just spring up from natural human behavior. It comes from a place that is so far back that a lot of people have forgotten it. Let me read this to you. Here's where it comes from. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth. 
and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That's Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Human life in all its forms is precious because it's created in the image of God. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? Does it mean that we physically look like God? Now, some of you have the body of a Greek God, undoubtedly. I know Matt smiled real big when I said it. He's like, yeah, I know. I'm trying to be humble about it. Um, if, there was, if there was like a God of eating too much, I could probably... Uh. Anyway, but we don't physically resemble God because God does not have a physical body. God is a spirit. So what does it mean that we're created in the image of God? It means that God put a little bit of himself in us. Man, not in a literal sense. We're not divine like that. But it does mean God gave us the capacity that he did not give any other created thing. He gave us a capacity to, to think and create and, and plan and to love and be loved like nothing else. And he gave us, most importantly, the ability to connect with him spiritually. We, we're able to do things that nothing else can do because of the image of God in us. Therefore, every human life is sacred. Not just able-bodied grown-ups, but children, babies. Not just people who don't have physical limitations. Not just people with the right education or the right health, uh, wealth. Um, not just certain races or classes of people. Every life, even the lives that our culture does not always value. Like the unborn. Like children who are in situations where there's a family that can't provide for them. Like those who are very old. Those who have been incapacitated or those who are disabled. Those who in the eyes of society do not make a contribution. Human beings have value not because of what they produce. Like they're a machine in a factory and if the, mach if the machine is working then it, then it has value. No, a human being has a value because... It's a human being. Human life is not a commodity. You cannot reduce a life to dollars and cents. It's heartbreaking to me that the value of a human life has been made into a political issue. It's not a political issue. People don't have value because a government says they have value. People have value because God says they have value. They're created in the image of God. People are valuable because God values people. I want to read you something that uh, talks a little more about the value of human life. It was written by David, the greatest king of Israel, and he was closer to God than anybody else in his day. And if it sounds a little poetic, that's because it was. It was originally written as a song. Don't know the tune it went to, and I won't try to sing it. I'll just read it for you. It's Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Some of you heard that line before. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed and in your book they were all written the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. Okay. God formed David in his mother's womb. 
Is David the only one who's fearfully and wonderfully made? We all are. Now, fearfully and wonderfully made. The origin of human life isn't just because two very specialized cells happen to meet. That's not where life originates. God commences life, ultimately. Um, it's true that a child might be conceived in less than favorable circumstances, maybe even negative circumstances, maybe even in violence, and that is not okay. That's not even a little bit okay. Yet, God can take a situation that seems like darkness and bring light out of it. If you look in Jesus' family tree, you're going to see that there were some of those people born under some weird circumstances, okay? There, there was some, some stories there that, uh, you know, would not have been appreciated in proper circles in Jesus' own birth. Was not exactly normal. Wait, here's this young girl. Wasn't she supposed to be engaged to be married? Hold up, she's pregnant and they're not married yet. What's going on? Now, I'm sure they told the story. Do you think everyone believed Mary's story? Probably not. So it wasn't really a normal, quote, situation. It's true. It's true that children aren't always planned or wanted by the biological mother or father. But there is no child that was not wanted by God. There is no human life for which he does not have a plan. You exist because God wants you. Now, it's true you didn't ask to be born. Have you ever had one of those weeks like, man, whew, I did not sign up for this. You know, years ago, two, two specialized cells meet, and now I got a, I got a car payment I got to pay. I didn't ask for this, you know. I got to have a job now. I got to feed myself and feed these other people, you know. Didn't ask for that, but let me tell you what. God has a plan for you. You may not have asked to be born, but God wanted you to be born, and that's why you're here. Every life is precious to him. Every single life. David said human beings are fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully does not mean in fear, like cringing fear, but in reverent respect. Wonderful means special and distinct from every other person and created thing. You are a marvelous work of God. I'm going to do something for you right now that you're going to thank me for. Just look. If you happen to ride here with someone else, particularly a significant other, just look at them and say, you are a marvelous work of God. There you go. You are a marvelous work of God. Now, if you rode here by yourself, now, this also, if you, if, this might be a good opportunity to make an impression on somebody to say, hey, you're a marvelous work of God. Now, if it's two guys, you're like, hey, bro, bro, you're a marvelous work of God. I mean, I don't mean to know what kind of weird way. You're just marvelous. I just, you know, it's, a, it's a, I'm just going to tell y'all all in case nobody told you today, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The fearfully part, I understand when I wake up in the morning and look in the mirror until I rub the sleep out of my eyes. You know, the wonderfully happens like after the shower and getting sort of straightened out. Anyway, here's the kicker. Human beings are fearfully and wonderfully made. Human beings are a marvelous work of God. You're a marvelous work of God. But you guess what else? So is your ex. Mm. So is that person who did you dirty. So is that person you cannot stand. So is that person when you see them crossing the street, you don't hit your brakes probably as fast as you should. You know what I'm talking about? That person. 
So are the people who have political views that are the opposite of yours. They're fearfully and wonderfully made too. They're marvelous works of God too. Even their lives are sacred and worth fighting for. David describes how sacred life is before it's born. Now, the secret place, let's see, bounce back to like verse 15. The secret place, when it was made in secret, he says, and and uh, he refers to the lowest parts of the earth, the interior of the earth. These are poetic ways of referring to the womb of a mother. He he said that uh, God saw him while he, while he was there, and of course that was 3,000 years ago, and it was nothing like ultrasound technology. Ultrasound tech's getting pretty amazing now, and you can really see a lot about the baby before they're born, but God sees even more than what the best ultrasound can see, and he, he honors that life that's developing even when it's no more than just a few cells. He sees and honors that life. He's skillfully forming that life. That phrase, skillfully wrought or curiously wrought in some translations, that is in, uh, oh, that's still in verse 15, isn't it? Skillfully wrought. It means, uh, literally means made of many colors. You ever seen like needlework or tapestry and how it's all these little threads of different colors? It's kind of like that. Every human life is the very DNA in your body is... The handiwork of God. He wove those little pieces together with love and care. It would be better to destroy a masterpiece of human artwork than it would be to disrespect human life. Human life's God's artwork. David said God looks in the womb and he sees the developing child. Even when there's hardly more than a few cells and systems, he, he sees what will be. And it goes a little farther back than this. Even before those cells existed, even before there was anything, um, verse 16, before my substance was formed at all, when there was nothing, there was nothing that could be considered a distinct person by the most generous definition, God saw. And your days were written in the book. From a biblical perspective, get this, well, there's a debate about when life begins. All right, that, maybe that's a worthwhile debate. Some people say it begins at conception. That's when life begins. Or some people will say, well, maybe it's when a heartbeat happens. Or, or, or maybe some other point of development. And then there's some who I, I cannot empathize with their point of view at all who say, well, a baby's not really a person until the mother decides it. And you could even end the life of a child after it's born. That's, I don't. There's no way I can get the math right on that. I, I'm not even trying to understand the argument. I don't, I don't get it at all. That's, our society is not any less barbaric than the Romans who left babies out in the cold to die. From a biblical perspective, it appears that, that God counts us as people even before there was anything to be counted. Even before conception, He sees and He knows before you were ever conceived in the womb of your mother, you were conceived in the heart of God. Every human life has value or meaning, not because society says so, not because a government says so, not because a parent says so, or a person or a group. Every human life has value and meaning because God knew us before we were ever conceived. It doesn't stop there. I want to read you something that the prophet Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah chapter 1. Read the book of Jeremiah sometime. That guy was so heartbroken, but it was in such a powerful, beautiful way. It's a good, 
Good, good book. God spoke to the prophet Jeremiah. This is what he said. This is uh, Jeremiah 1, 4 through 7. The Lord gave me this message, he says. And here's what he says. I knew you before I formed you in my mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I cannot speak for you. I'm too young. The Lord replied, don't say I'm too young, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I told you. Verse 5. Pull verse 5 back up, please. Before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before. Before you were a twinkle in anybody's eye. God knew you and had a plan for you and for everybody. Every person has a valuable contribution to make to the world. Even people who society does not see as valuable and contributing. There are some people who are labeled as a, quote, drain on society. Boy, does that burn me up. People who are very poor. Um, unwed mothers and their children. People who are incapacitated by illness or age. People who have some disabilities and others. Meanwhile, God has a plan for every single human life. Each person has a purpose and a calling. He appointed Jeremiah to be a prophet. Don't know if he'll make you a prophet. But he has appointed you and everyone else with something meaningful. The potential to do and to be something meaningful. Do we always live up to the potential God's put in us? Nah. At least I haven't so far. But that doesn't mean it wasn't given. Somebody will say... And I hope I can handle this very delicately. Somebody will say, well, what about people with disabilities? Well, guess what? In our church, we have a lot of folks represented who either have someone very near to them, who are work closely with some people who, who bear that label. And you know what they'll tell you? You hang out with some of these folks a while. You won't feel sorry for them. You'll feel sorry for yourself because you're not as happy as they are. Go hang out for a little while with somebody with Downs. You'll come back thinking, good grief, what's wrong with me? Why am I such a grump? They are so happy. Some of the happiest people you ever meet. You know what? Ask some of the folks who know how much some, some of the people who, who bear what I would consider an unfair label can minister and love and pray. It's a beautiful thing, y'all. It's a beautiful thing how people can love now someone's going to say well what about people who are so profoundly disabled they can't interact in any way who are who are in little more than a vegetative state okay you might not want to assume you know what's going on in somebody else's head first of all and second of all even if this person cannot interact in any way this is something that is true even a person who cannot give anything back provides the opportunity for someone to love unconditionally. Not expecting anything in return. Love with compassion and mercy. Not for what you get back, but because God says to love. Unconditional love is one of the hardest things on the planet. Most people say, I'll love people if they love me back. But when you can love somebody who cannot give anything back to you or will not give anything back to you, that's when you're loving like God loves. 
Jeremiah said he could not speak. He says, I'm too young. I can't speak. He doubted people would listen. And God gave him a voice, though, and he spoke very powerfully, and his voice still rings through the ages. So here we are, like 26 years, 100 years later, 2,600 years later, and, and people are still listening to Jeremiah. Well, there are many people in this world who cannot speak for themselves. Sometimes they physically cannot produce words. In other cases, they don't have the platform or the ability to listen, to, to, to speak and have people listen. And yet God has given them a voice. Whose voice has He given them? Whose voice? Your voice. Yours is the voice that He has given to people who cannot speak for themselves. Your voice. Your voice. We need to speak up on behalf of precious life. Yes, for the unborn, that's been more of our focus today, but also for anyone who does not have the same opportunity to speak and be heard that you have, you know, whatever their situation is. Jesus people are made to make a difference. Now, remember those children in Rome that broke our hearts? The ones who were left out in the cold and abandoned to die? Those, those babies that were discarded often for no other reason than that they were female? We wonder why somebody didn't do something about that. We wonder why somebody didn't speak up. Somebody didn't help. Somebody eventually did. There was a group of people who were so heartbroken by this. They had to act. Uh, I don't know if they appealed to elected officials. Maybe they did, but we never heard about that. I don't know if they ever started a petition. There's no records. I don't know if they marched on the Roman Senate to demand change. Maybe they did, but we have no indication. i tell you what they did do. They went out in the street and they started rescuing these abandoned babies. They picked them up. They took them home. They fed them. They found homes for them or they raised them themselves. They gave them a chance. They saved them from death or worse, a lifetime of exploitation. They loved them and raised them and found families. They got, they got no support from the government to do this. It was illegal to do what they were doing because the Roman law at the time said if a baby is born with a deformity, you kill it. That was the law. Who were these people who risked their lives to save children that nobody else seemed to want? Who were they? They were Jesus people. They were Christians. They loved like Jesus loved. They, they kept on saving kids until the law was eventually revoked and, and eventually reversed to where it was no longer a requirement to, to kill a child with a deformity. It was illegal to kill a baby at all. We don't know how many thousands they saved because they didn't count by thousands. They counted by ones. One life at a time. It's easy to listen to some of the, the stats. Lucy shared some about you know, all these, you know, these abortions that are happening, all these lives that are being impacted. And, and it's easy to hear that and be bothered, but not necessarily moved to act. In, in those days, th they could literally see a baby laying in the street. That's really obvious. You know, your, I bet your instinct would be, if you saw a baby laying in the street, what would you do? I mean, you'd, you'd go get that baby. 
or find somebody. You, you wouldn't leave it there. Of course you wouldn't. But for us, these days, you're probably not going to see a baby laying out in the street. What you will see, most likely, is a young woman who's in a situation where she feels way over her head. That's what you'll see. You won't see a baby. The baby's too little to see. The baby's on the inside. You, you're going to see maybe, maybe a pretty darn smart 24-year-old young woman who doesn't feel like she has options. I mean, that's what Lucy testified to us this morning. Y'all know Lucy. She's sharp as can be, you know. But at the moment, it felt like there were no other options at that moment. That's what you'll see. What you'll see is maybe a, a mom who's struggling to raise a kid she's got and doesn't know how she'll ever raise another one. That's what you'll see. You won't see a baby abandoned in the street. You're going to see a mother who probably doesn't want what's about to happen but doesn't see another way. You're going to see a person who's in tremendous need of compassion and help. Okay. Here's where it gets really real. It's not enough to just be against abortion on moral grounds, to say, I don't believe in that. Some folks say they're pro-life, but what they really are is pro-birth. Get the baby born. And then, what about after the baby's born? What about then? Are you ready to help those who've chosen life? I mean, let's just get real about it. You going to adopt a baby? Are you going to support organizations that do some that are frontline that are helping people choose life? Or are, are you going to are you going to personally help out someone? Are you going to going to love them? Because a, a lot of these people are not feeling loved. They're um, Lucy mentioned may feel rejected by a religious group, maybe feel rejected by their church. And that happens all the time, y'all. All the time. That a young lady, maybe who's trying to do the right thing, and they're, they're pregnant and they're expecting, and, and they need their church family the worst, worse than they ever have. But the church family shuns them. See, it, it's, we've got to treat life as truly precious truly precious you see one side of the argument doesn't seem to see the baby and another side of the argument doesn't ever seem to see the mama but both of them lives are precious to god and they should be precious to us lucy i love what your organization is doing trying to help trying to help these women i think that's a worthy worthy cause because it doesn't just end when the mother decides to carry a baby to term now there's a lot more that's got to be done. And if we're going to say we believe in life, then we need to believe in life. Not just birth, but life. So Christian folks, we got some work to do. And if you want to know how you can be a more part of that, talk to Lucy. Talk to some folks who know. Get involved with some organizations who know. This is something I, I hope we'll talk about every year about this time. And because it's so important... And it's such a big deal, and it's not going away, and it's only going to get worse. So right now, I want us to pray, and hopefully we can end this on a little more upbeat note. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we love you so much. Thank you for valuing every single human life. And I pray that you will show us this week opportunities to demonstrate that we value life 
like you value life. I want to pray for these folks listening to my voice right now and for myself that this week you're going to put opportunities in front of us not just to say that we're against something but that we are for something, for life. And I pray you'll give us the courage to maybe do the very hard thing or make a sacrifice or to love somebody in need. In Jesus' name, amen. It has been so lovely to be back with y'all. Y'all are fearfully and wonderfully made, marvelously, skillfully crafted. Guess what? Hopefully in the very near future, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to start a series on the book of Daniel. You ever study the book of Daniel? Ooh, ooh, it's good stuff. It is wild. Crazy animals and all kinds of things and dreams, interpretations. It's a lot more than the lion's den. The only thing you know about Daniel is the lion's den. We got, we're going to get way past the lion's den, y'all. It's going to be good. Actually, the lion's den thing didn't happen until Daniel was already quite an old man. He lived like... 80 years before the lion's den ever happened in all of his life was very interesting. God bless you guys. I'm so glad you're here today. You let folks know that Recreate is back in business and pray the snow away. If you see any snow in the forecast, I want you to rebuke it in the name of Jesus and get it out of here. We do not want any more snow, okay? We're going to rebuke snow and we're going to rebuke COVID. But uh, Liz, if you'll hit that, uh, hit that post, uh, post service thing. God bless you all. I will see you next time. Love y'all. And uh, it's just been so good. See you.